This is the All About 80s Music Podcast with John Mysick and Steve Ojello. Hey, this is Steve Ojello, and I'm here with John Mysick. Steve, it's been entirely too long. I agree, John. Today, John and I go down under to discuss some of the best Australian bands and artists that contributed to the greatest decade. So grab a coldie, a frothy, or a stubby, because this is going to be a lot of fun. So let's not waste any time and get right into it. So, John... As you and I were growing up in the 80s, we were both aware that Australia was a major contributor to so much of the music that was happening around us. Looking at the long list of talented musicians that the country produced, I would love to get your initial thoughts on the culture and the sound that helped shape a lot of the music that defined the greatest decade. Yeah, you know, Steve, the land down under was half a planet away, but its artists were never far from the charts in the uh, 1980s, from Men at Work and In Excess to ACDC and the v- Divinals to Midnight Oil, Hoodoo Gurus, and Crowded House, were part New Zealand. Uh, Australia produced any number of artists during the 1980s, uh, some well-known, some better known than others, who made an imprint on the popular culture of the time. Oh, so many of my favorite bands of the era were and still are. Australian artists. Uh, so I'm going to kick off mine. You know this one. This one I've talked about this one on the pod before. It's Send Me an Angel, the 1983 debut single by the Aussie band Real Life from their first album, Heartland. Uh, the song peaked in the top 10 in Australia, and it remains to this day the band's best-known song. Um, Steve, there are all the signifiers of a 1980s techno-pop hit on this one. The Simmons drums, the OBH synthesizer sounds, uh, the froth drama of lead singer David Steary's voice, and those unmistakable hand claps, again, from a Simmons drum pad um, that punctuate the chorus. And this remains, I think, probably one of my favorite singles of the early 1980s and probably one of my favorite albums of that era. There was something just so mysterious about Send Me an Angel. Uh, the cover art of uh, Heartland, Real Life's debut record, features sort of uh, mysterious Australia native insignia. And this, the album is shot through with high drama 1980s techno pop tunes. Um, it is one that remains to this day near and dear to my heart. Uh, we know that the band re-recorded it in 1989, putting some late 80s sheen on the tune. But for me, that first 1983 release remains the very best one. As you mentioned in a previous podcast, that song is a fantastic one and a great one to kick off this list. I'm going with the band that formed in Australia during 1985 and originally consisted of two Australians and one New Zealander. The original lineup had about an 11-year run, ending with a farewell concert at the Sydney Opera House back in 1996. Four studio albums, a greatest hits collections, 15 million records sold all over the world, and tons of hits. Neil Finn, Paul Hester, and Nick Seymour. I'm talking about Crowded House. I remember they came out strong in the States with Don't Dream It's Over in 1986, and then followed that up with Something So Strong in 1987. Both songs were staples on MTV in the late 80s. Neil Finn, the singer, guitarist, and main songwriter, wrote some of the best and deepest songs in pop music. Just check out the Woodface album from 1991, where he wrote a large portion of those songs with his brother Tim. Neil has been a powerful songwriting force and lyrical poet throughout the 80s, starting when he was in Split Ends. And he wrote Message to My Girl, I Got You, and History Never Repeats, three of the biggest songs from the early 80s. 
Together, he and his brother Tim had fantastic singles as the Finn Brothers later in the mid-90s. And to this day, Neil Finn's acoustic shows have been some of the best live shows that I've been to. Funny story about seeing Neil and his acoustic set back in the 90s. The New York City crowd was pretty bullish, screaming out their requests the moment he would finish a particular song. And at one point in the show, he said, you're never satisfied with the song I'm about to play. The audience erupted in laughter for about a good minute and then calmed down and then continued to request songs throughout the set. It was it was almost a little disruptive, but um, it was a great show. And he has put on so many fantastic concerts over the years. I want to call out the Together Alone album from 1993, if I could just break into the 90s for a moment. Um, it was an album that wrapped up their recorded journey together as a threesome, along with Mark Hart, who was on board for that album and the shows that later came. Um, in my opinion, some of the best, deepest, and most poetic Neil Finn songs on that album. Today, the band continues with Neil and his sons Liam and Elroy, um, along with Nick and a few other members. Some of my favorite tracks uh, from Credit House are I Feel Possessed, Instinct, and Everything is Good for You. Only Talking Sense from the Finn Brothers and the entire Together Alone album. A beautiful body of work from one of Pop's most prolific songwriters. If you never went deep into their catalog, it's definitely worth the dive. Steve, what do you say about Crowded House? Uh, in Neil Finn, one of the consummate pop songwriters of the last 40 years, um, I enthusiastically second everything you say there. Two of my favorite pop tunes come from the Woodface record, Fall at Your Feet, Weather With You, two amazing hook-laden songs. They have the notoriously difficult second album, Temple of Low Men, which is nonetheless shot through with pop gems. You talked about I Feel Possessed, um, but for me, When You Come, Never Be the Same, Love This Life, also great deep album tracks from that LP, and of course, Angered by the Single that many people will know, and that's Better Be Home Soon. Just a lovely, lovely song. You know, Neil Finn went on to play briefly in a lineup of, uh, of Fleetwood Mac a couple of years ago, stepping into the gap for uh, Lindsey Buckingham. Lindsay Buckingham. Uh, it took both him and Mike Campbell to fill the, uh, to fill the void when uh, Buckingham headed for the exits in the late period of that band. But again, just a mellifluous voice, um, an amazing way with a lyric. Um, he put out a song uh, a few years back, I'm going to say 2017, 2018, called Love is Emotional, uh, that actually popped up on a Christmas episode of The Flash show on, uh, on the CW. And I would urge listeners to track it down because it is just hauntingly beautiful um, and brings a lump to my throat every single time. Um, he is, of course, a native New Zealander. Neil Finn is, but uh, because Crowded House was, uh, I guess, two-thirds Australian. We, uh, we're including them in the countdown here. Um, cannot say enough good things about, uh, about Neil Fenn. Totally agree. Who's next on your list? All right, I'm going with The Church, uh, the veteran Aussie psych band uh, founded in 1980 by singer and bassist Steve Kilby. Um, they've released just 
score a scores of records and singles um, over the ensuing 43 years since their founding. They're still at it even now. Kilby is the only original founding member left standing. Uh, drummer Tim Powell's joined the lineup in 1994 is still there, uh, but founding guitarists Peter Coppice and Marty Wilson Piper both left the band over the last decade in relatively acrimonious circumstances. The church are best known on these shores for their 1988 single Under the Milky Way on their fifth studio album Starfish, uh, written by Kilby and his then-girlfriend uh, Karen Jansen. Um, a readily identifiable song with a great 12-string acoustic guitar line, some really tasteful electric work from Coppice, um, a clavier keyboard solo that a lot of people thought were, uh, were bagpipes. This was the album produced by Greg, uh, Greg LaDonia and, and Wadi Walkill that seemed poised to break them huge in the United States. They took an artistic left turn in 1990 with uh, Gold Afternoon Fix, which produced the Metropolis single. One more record on Arista, major label, Priest um, Equals War with the song Ripple, and then never really bothered the American charts again. From end to end, Steve, this is um, a great band, sort of the, the example par excellence, I think, of... Uh, Australian guitar rock in Wilson Piper and Compass, you had two guitarists with different styles that nonetheless complemented each other, um, interlocking and filling spaces in the songs to create this dense wall of sound. Kilby's deadpan vocals were kind of a trademark of those records. You know, there's been a number of drummers who occupied the drummerizer for them. Founding drummer Richard Plug, Tim Powell's. They had uh, J.D. Doherty of the Patti Smith Band briefly in the fold for a couple of albums in the 1990s, who brought uh, some swing to the band that had never been there before. For a long time, Steve, collecting church bootlegs was a bit of a cottage industry. Um, I admit to being part of that. And Compass and Wilson Piper and Kilby are all prolific solo artists in their own right, playing and recording and releasing dozens of incredibly collectible albums down the years. Again, they're still going strong. Uh, I think Steve Kilby is crowding 70 at this point. They're, it's a testament to the kind of the, uh, of the endurance of this band that they're, uh, that they're still around today. And you know, it, it was funny because Under the Milky Way was such a huge definitional hit to the 80s that I was very surprised once I dove into Reptile and Antenna and Metropolis and realized that they were more of an indie band, which I didn't get at first because Under the Milky Way was, was everywhere. And I love that Wadi Wachtel produced those songs, a lot of those songs, for a lot of people who don't know that name. He's the tall guitar player with the extremely long red hair that has been playing alongside of Stevie Nicks all these years throughout her solo career. To this day, Under the Milky Way makes its way probably onto 90% of the 80s playlists that are out there. It's a true classic. Yeah, I mean, and you talk about them being an indie band, Steve. You go back to their earlier records of Skins and Heart, The Blurred Crusade, Seance, Heyday, which for me remains one of the great underheralded albums of the of the early, of the middle 1980s. I had a chance to to ask Kilby about it during an interview uh, probably 10 or 15 years ago and he said that was an album where the church really took flight as a band. It's long out of print, but I think you can I think you can stream it on Spotify. Uh, you've got the songs uh, Murr on there and Tantalize, which are the two best-known singles. Absolutely urge listeners to track it down. It's like a blast of uh, Australian sunlight on a, on a cold day. Awesome. So my, yeah, so you, this was the first episode that you and I didn't discuss our choices pre to coming on this podcast. 
Yep. And the reason I suggested that to you was because I figured we know each other's musical taste by now enough to kind of figure out where the other one's going to go. So I thought it might be fun. Okay. But the other reason I didn't want to discuss our playlist before we got on was because I wanted to throw a big curveball at you for this. It's the Bee Gees. And your your love for the Brothers Gibb is well documented, Steve. It is. And anyone who questions why I'm bringing up the Bee Gees in an 80s music podcast is because you have to look at the different decades of Bee Gees. There were the 60s Bee Gees. There was the 70s sort of disco Bee Gees that everyone knows and loves or vehemently hates. In 1979, when um, the disco demolition night happened in Detroit, they went to a, a big stadium and burnt all their disco records, which, which I remember watching in real time when I was a kid. And I couldn't understand why everyone hated yeah. disco so much. That was when the Bee Gees decided to take a break from actually recording and performing as the Bee Gees. And what they did was, what they wrote were career-defining songs for some of the biggest artists in the 80s. The three brothers were born on England's Isle of Man, and then the family moved to Australia back in 1955, and they formed the Bee Gees in 1958. So they, they actually became the Bee Gees in Australia. And once they achieved their first commercial success in 1967, they moved back to the UK. So they really do count as an Aussie band. But during the 80s, the Bee Gees wrote some of the biggest career hits for some of the top artists around. First, they wrote Dionne Warwick's Heartbreaker in 1982. The song reached the top 10 in over a dozen countries and is still one of Warwick's biggest career hits, selling an estimated 4 million singles worldwide. They wrote Barbara Streisand's Woman in Love in 1980, and that became one of the most successful songs of her career, and spent a total of three weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Um, the title track, Guilty, won a Grammy Award in 1981, and became an instant hit, peaking at number three on the charts. And What Kind of Fool reached number 10 for three weeks. The Bee Gees also wrote Diana Ross's Chain Reaction in 1985, and that went to number one in three countries and topped a bunch of charts here in the U.S. Lori and I saw Diana Ross a few months back at the Hershey Theater. I remember hearing that song, remembering, oh, this is 1980s Diana Ross, not remembering that the Bee Gees actually wrote that song, but I remember how big of a hit it was for her in the 80s. And of course, the Bee Gees wrote the big one, Islands in the Stream for Kenny and Dolly in 1983, which sold over 4 million copies worldwide and topped the charts at number one, number two, and other top 10 spots around the world. Mysik, if you ask any country fan over 40 years old, they remember that song, and it was one of the original pop crossover hits for country music. The Bee Gees did come back later in the 80s with their own hits, they wrote and performed songs for Sly Stallone's 1983 movie, Staying Alive, and they also had a few of their own hits, ESP and the song One, later in the 80s. My favorite group of all time, based on the work that they did on the 70s and the 80s and beyond, definitely a powerhouse team of pop songwriters on a very high level that a lot of songwriters can't get close to, and that became extremely apparent in the 80s. Steve, I, the, the Bee Gees were for a long time one of those bands that were so uncool that eventually they were destined to simply become cool again. The sort of 
magnitude of their songwriting accomplishment stood out. I was really hoping you were going to mention Islands in the Stream. Um, I remember hearing that one just everywhere in 1983, and it, I can close my eyes and I can hear I can hear Kenny and Dolly singing it. I can hear those uh, those soaring harmonies on that song. Just a great pop single from and and I have to admit I was a fan of another Gib back in the old days. That was their brother, the late Andy Gibb, uh, who sort of latched on to his older brother's success and had hits with, uh, they had a hit with Shadow Dancing. Gosh, that must have been, what, 78, 79, somewhere? Um, And I remember just really digging the heck out of that song. You know, as a snooty New Wave kid in the 1980s, I probably gave the Bee Gees short shrift. Um, But as I got older and kind of understood uh, what they did and and who they were and kind of the the talent that was going on in that band, I came to respect them a lot more. And of course, uh, listeners can track down uh, the Barry Gibb talk show skit that uh, Jimmy Fallon and Justin Timberlake used to do on Saturday Night Live, uh, kind of also breathed some life into the band there. It's laugh out loud funny and i inevitably can't breathe by the uh by the end of it because i'm laughing so hard you know i'll give it to you on this one steve a great pick a great band thanks who you got next all right uh you talk about zigging and zagging i'm gonna thoroughly zig and zag on this one i'm going with under heralded aussie pop songwriters the go-betweens the combo founded by uh robert forster and the late grant mclennan universally kind of revered in indie circles for smart, literate, hooky pop songwriting. Uh, They never really got their commercial uh, due back when they were together. Uh, A brace of of records between about 1979, 1980 through 1988 uh, with 16 Lovers Lane, uh, an amazing song on there called Streets of Your Town that McLennan wrote with uh, violinist and middle player Amanda White. One of the great, uh, should have been amazing singles of the late 1980s. Just, just an incredible band, Steve. They were in kind of the Lennon and McCartney of Australian songwriting, blowing out of uh, of Brisbane in Queensland in, in the late 70s. Uh, there's even, they're, they're so revered in their hometown now, there's even a, a go-betweens bridge in Brisbane that's been named after them. McLennan... Uh, released some pretty wonderful solo records. So too did Forrester after the band broke up. Uh, one of my favorites is 1996's Horsebreaker Star. Uh, McLennan, sort of a really warm, mellifluous voice and uh, in an inimitable way with a lyric was a huge influence on my songwriting as well. They got back together again in 2000 um, with the songs of Rachel Worth uh, releasing three more records through 2005, uh, including maybe their best of their whole career, Oceans Apart, uh, before unfortunately McLennan died um, of a heart attack at the age of 48 in 2006, uh, leaving unfinished a chapter of the band. But it's it's really hard for me to kind of overstate what this band has come to mean, mean to me over the years. Awesome. I'm not going to zigzag. I'm going to keep it mainstream Australia and, and just go with the most obvious of all 80s Australian bands, Men at Work. And they came out strong as an Aussie band with their first single being Down Under, which still today has a lot of cultural significance to the people of Australia. Um, the video was shot in the Australian Outback. We saw a stuffed koala next to Greg Ham sitting in the tree as he played his flute parts in that video. Uh, <laughs> showcased a few cans of Foster's Lager in there and made all of us kids obsessed with finding out what Vegemite was. 
So it came out very Australian and was a good way for all of us kids in the U.S. to kind of get a taste of Australian culture. The song Down Under reached number one in the U.S. in January of 83 for four consecutive weeks and sold over two million copies here in the U.S. It's still played at sporting events in Australia and considered a patriotic song to some people and has topped a number of best song lists in that country. The band went on to release great songs like Who Can It Be Now, Johnny Be Good, It's a Mistake, Overkill, and some of the other ones. Yeah, yeah Steve, that. you know, we covered uh, Down Under uh, when I was playing in the Thompson Triplets back when I was still living in Pennsylvania. Always a number that got the crowd to their feet. You had that sort of great little uh, reggae lilt to it, uh, underpinned by... Uh, by a pretty great bass part, I have to say. Colin Hay, again, a guy who knows his way with a tune, uh, went on to a really prolific solo career. I think he played in Ringo Starr's All-Star Band, if memory serves me correctly. He did a couple, did a couple yep. of spells there. Yeah, a band that is so definitional to the uh, to the early part of the 1980s with Business as Usual and then Cargo. Um, so some records after that that didn't quite replicate the success it's one of those cl- kind of classic stories of a band burning briefly and brightly and then kind of succumbing to uh, to overwork. But, you know, again, the, Colin Hay has found his way and had a wonderful career in his own right in the ensuing 40-ish years. Awesome. Who's next on your list? All right. Uh, zagging again. I'm going with the Triffids, a legendary band of the Australian underground. Their team, Wide Open Road held up as perhaps uh, as one of the best Australian rock songs ever written from an album called Born Sandy Devotional. Steve, this is uh, just, again, this is a song that sounds like it's shot through with Australian sunlight. Uh, David McComb, uh, the band's lead singer who perished back in the uh, early 90s, I think, uh, wrote songs uh, replete with with mystery and, and dense imagery. And, and the songs were really wide open. The arrangements were so spacious, evoking the sort of the vastness of the Australian landscape. Born City Devotional hit uh, number 26 in the UK charts in 1986. They were a band who were not beloved in their time commercially, but who in the, in the ensuing years have become really artistically revered. The record is on Spotify, and I would encourage listeners to track it down. If you want a record that kind of embodies what's really great about Australian pop, again, full of mystery, full of sunlight, full of great hooks, um, you could do worse than uh, Born Sandy Devotional. The Triffids. It's one that I didn't see coming. What years were they active? Did they come out like... 84 through about 87. Um, A very brief flower. And they were from Perth, uh, formed in Perth, moved to Sydney, went to the UK for a little while, were part of that same scene as the go-betweens. They returned to uh, Australia. They're a very Australian band in tone and tenor and, uh, and character. And how did you find out about them? Were you, were you digging in the, um, in the record bins, in the imported section, or were you, did you catch them on like MTV? So the, the, the church some years ago put out an acoustic collection of their songs. Um, and they included a cover of Wide Open Road, a song that I had, I had never heard prior to that. Um, and I remember reading an interview with Steve Kilby and him going on and on about how amazing the song was, what an amazing band the Triffids were. 
Um, and I went back and, and, and named, by the way, for, for Doctor Who aliens, for the Trivagory part of the Doctor Who mythology. And I went back and, and tracked down the band and tracked down Born Sandy Devotional. And I had a friend from Brisbane. I was in this Australian music listserv on the days when, back in those days when we had listservs. We had a secret Santa one year. And he sent me a copy of a, of a documentary all about Born Sandy Devotional. And it was an awakening for me. I had not known about the band previously. It, it made me wonder what the hell I'd been missing all those years. Unless you were digging the import bins, unless you knew what to look for, um, you were going to miss the Triffids. And that is unfortunate because they are wonderful. Well, that's neat to hear. I'm always interested to hear how someone discovered a band from so far away, because in the 80s, we had limited options to really discover imported music. Either you were digging through the imported section in, in a record, exactly. or you were watching like MTV late at night when they had, what was that show that they played? 120 minutes. So that was also a good way to discover, or you just had a friend who like had a pretty diverse repertoire and, and would turn you on to something, but it, it was pretty hard to find back then. So. I can name my friend Ian Gray, a, uh, a lawyer in Brisbane for, uh, for turning me on to these guys. So, yeah. So, Isaac, I have a feeling you were going to mention Ice House on this program. Uh, yeah, Steve, you would be right. You know me uh, entirely too well. The combo fronted by Iva Davies across several records uh, and still touring even today of a near and dear spot in my heart. One of my favorite bass players of all time, Guy Pratt, was in an early iteration of the band. Most Americans know Ice House if they know of them from two singles in 1987. Crazy and Electric Blue, famously co-written with John Oates, he of Hall and Oates fame, contributing uh, that falsetto vocal on the chorus. Just a wonderfully hooky song. If you track down a live version from a few years back, Oates actually joins them on stage uh, to play the song. With them, uh, there's an extended guitar coda from Ivan Davies, who, as it turns out, can really shred. Um, and it just really highlights the strengths of that tune, which includes this incredible counter melody on the chorus. And you really have to listen for it. But for me, it's one of the fun parts of that song. And I always love it when songwriters drop in little tricks like that one. Yeah, I feel that Ivan made a sizable contribution to the late 80s. Crazy and Electric Blue were huge hit songs that helped define the later sound of the decade. I always thought it was funny that the title Electric Blue was around in a few different places during the 80s. I know your girl, Debbie Gibson, also had a single called Electric Blue. And I don't know if you remember, but there was also a recurring show on the Playboy channel called Electric Blue. I, um, I, I wasn't allowed to stay up that late. I'm, I'll leave that to you. Ice House was definitely a major contributor, and I feel an 80s playlist isn't the same without one of their songs to represent the later part of that decade. You know, you need to track down their, uh, one of their earlier records, Great Southern Land, as well, which, again, is a record about Australia, which is what Australia is sometimes called. Another really great sort of definitional um, Australian record by a band that is uh, kind of definitional to the country itself. Nice. Steve, what's your favorite? So I'm going to go with In Excess, band that I feel is one of those universally loved groups that everyone can agree on from the decade. They were similar to U2 in the way their music reached across a very vast audience. For me, it was really all about the songs. When you think about Mystified, the one thing, don't change. 
Never Tear Us Apart, New Sensation, Need You Tonight, and there were so many others. They boast a really strong Greatest Hits album. We were lucky enough to be alive during the Greatest Decade and really witnessed some of the most dynamic lead singers of that decade, which um, Michael Hutchins was definitely one of them. Just a fantastic band from beginning to end. They went on and unsuccessfully tried to replace him, but we all know that it didn't work because when you're replacing somebody like Michael, similar to replacing Jim Morrison from The Doors, it just never works. It's like Queen replacing Freddie Mercury. Adam Lambert coming in and sing those songs, but there's only one Freddie Mercury. Just one of the best bands, and I know one of our favorites from that decade. Yeah, Steve, we very tragically lost Michael Hutchins to suicide in 1997. It's worth pointing out that September is Suicide Awareness Month. Um, there are reasons you can dial 988 to get the help that you need. There are resources out there. Um, we lose far too many people to the curse of suicide. And I think we can do like a public service by just letting listeners know that if you need help, it's out there for you. And there is always hope. That public service announcement out of the way. You know, I know Kick gets all the love. It's the album that went mega. It's the one that was all over the place uh, in 1987, 1988. But Steve, I'm going to say Listen Like Thieves, their fifth album, 1985. Perhaps their finest recorded moment on vinyl. So many great songs, such great songwriting, such great musicianship. You've got the title track. You've got This Time. You've got Shine Like It Does. Um, you've got uh, Falling Down the Mountain. So many great songs. A record that kind of unjustly gets overshadowed, I think, by the juggernaut that was Kick, but remains to this day one of my favorite In Excess records. The Swing, which preceded it, it is a close second. The Nile Rodgers-produced Original Sin is on there, and that song is just an amazing piece of funk, too. All right, Steve, I got, I got one more, and I'm going to go out as mainstream as I possibly can. We all know this one. There's that signature guitar riff that comes in at the beginning. A little bit of bass, a little bit of drums, Brian Jones's unmistakable vocals. And then my friends, yes, he will shake you all night long. I'm talking about You Shook Me All Night Long, the 1980s single by ACDC. Steve, if there's a band that understands its brief, if there's a band that understands its job, it's ACDC, Brothers Angus Young, Malcolm Young, uh, Cliff Jones on bass, and Brian Jones on, uh, on lead vocals. Are they a meathead rock and roll band? Absolutely. Do they do it astonishingly well? Absolutely. You know, you, this is a song that will never fail to get a room moving. A band is about Australian as it gets, and I'm sorry, I just... The same way I unapologetically love Kiss because they're they're a band that understands the brief. I just unapologetically love ACDC as well. Talking about Zigzag, I didn't see ACDC coming at me from New Wave John. I didn't. You know, I, I, you know, I get I get I get those moments again. Like, as just the same way I I love Kiss for its great big dumb grandeur. I love ACDC for its great big dumb grandeur. They 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 had the formula. They knew what they were doing, and they stuck with it. By God. I got free tickets once to go see ACDC in the late two thousands, and I was like, "What the hell? I'll go." put the earplugs in and you know it was great because they just pummeled one hit song after another and 
exactly. But, you know, until you're there, you forget, wow, like they have so many great songs, you, you know, because you're hearing all these songs on the radio over the years. And then like, once you're there in concert, you can actually piece them all together and say, what a fantastic body of work they have. And the energy level was just off the charts from the beginning, right to the end. Angus Young did this phenomenal guitar solo, got down to his boxer shorts with the big uh, English flag on the back and just the crowd was wired. He had to be like in his in his mid 60s at that point. Just fantastic and definitely one of the best bands. And I, I didn't expect them on this podcast, but, you know, you and I throw each other curveballs every once in a while. So that's great to see a, a solid, a solid live act. And, and again, you're right. When you, you don't think, boy, they don't have many great songs, do they? And then you realize, oh my God, they have so many great songs and it's the formula. It's the guitar, the drums come in, the bass comes in, there's the vocal, there's the hooky hooky chorus that stays in your head for a week. And I have to admire just the sheer craftsmanship that goes into that. I mean, are the songs dumb? Yeah. But I mean, it takes so many, and it takes a lot of skill to craft songs that are that tall. Steve, before we go, I'm going to throw in some honorable mentions. Beds are Burning by Midnight Oil, Pleasure and Pain by The Divinals, A Furious Mess by The Crystal Set, My Girl by Hoodoo Gurus, I'm Stranded by The Saints, and The Legends of the Aussie Pub Rocking Scene, Cold Chisel. Uh, again, you know, we could fit in so many amazing Australian bands on this podcast. Um, that's how diverse the music scene was it was, and continues to be in Australia. But I'm glad we at least had a chance to conduct um, this survey course today. I don't want to forget Pseudo Echo's remake of Funky Town. <laughs> that song didn't need to be redone, but they actually did it and did a great job. And I have friends that were drummers or guitarists, not keyboard players, and they still bring up that song. Because somewhere, they remember how good it was. Somewhere I've got that 12-inch single. I can't, I can't believe I didn't pull it out one of those nights when you came around the house for the, uh, for the beer and new wave sessions. They went out big and fast on that one. I also want to mention the Divinals. And I want to just give a shout-out to Olivia Newton-John, my number one of all time. Came out very strong in the 80s with Xanadu, with Physical and so many great songs off of those two albums that were definitional to the early 80s and pop culture. I'll, I'll see you in Olivia and raise you a Kylie Minogue. Also an Australian icon, um, got her start in the 80s with her cover of The Locomotion, releasing so many great dance singles. Back on the charts again with Padam Padam um, mm-hmm. and um, I, the, the iconic I Can't Get You Out of My Head from 2001. Another great Australian songstress who's also iconic in her home country. And she's still around and she's still doing live shows and putting out records. That's awesome. All right, Steve, that's about all the time we have for this week. Uh, sorry for being for, away for a while. We'll be back sooner, I promise. I'm John. Like, comment, share, subscribe. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, get, send us suggestions. We're always open to them. And this is Steve saying, until next time, keep it cool, keep it awesome, and keep it totally rad. <laughs>